Good morning. All right, you got me now. Rob, uh, your talk this morning made me think of, well, it kind of fit in with the lesson, how uh, some people think differently about different things. Uh, Rick and Mandy, if she was in here, um, try going into a worship service in Israel without a hat. See how that works out for you. It's, it's interesting how we how we think differently about different things. I wanted to uh, just pass along one quick announcement. Um, uh, they're still getting tests on Joe. He's going to stay for a few days, and so they're, they're not sure. Something may not crop up immediately, but uh, keep praying for them. Um, how many of you are familiar with the name Francis Chan? I know many of you should be now. Francis and his wife started a church in Simi Valley, California. Now, this is a, a very uh, affluent part of California, the Silicon Valley, um, a lot of rich folks. But they started a church out of their house with just a handful of people. And within just a few years, it had grown to a few thousand up until the point where it was over 3,000 people in a weekend. Now, as you can imagine... A preacher that has grown a church uh, to that size becomes very famous. All of a sudden, you, you have a platform because you have created this, you have grown this large church. Well, now you're asked, people want to know, all right, well, how, how is it that you did this? I want to copy that. I want my church to be large. And so the speaking engagements become incredible. They become endless. You become very, very famous. Well, this platform that Francis had uh, kind, of, kind of took the step into the reason you, most of you know him, and that is he wrote the book entitled Crazy Love. Now, Crazy Love is, uh, I love the book. Uh, it's a fantastic read. Uh, but it was a huge success. Uh, in fact, to date, it has sold over 2.2 million copies. Uh, can you just imagine you writing a book and doing that well. But the amazing thing for Francis and his wife is that he, he got a tip from the publisher, at, I think it was about the time of release or right before, that said, this book is about to take off. And so Francis and his wife did something very weird. They got together and they said, I don't think we should keep this money. And so before they received a dime of money from this book, they set it all up to go to charity, and they never touched it. Can you imagine doing that with that type of money? John the Baptist was not a man with a lot of money. Scripture describes him as a man who lived in the desert, lived in the wilderness, who dressed in camel fur, wore a leather belt, and ate locusts or grasshoppers. Scripture doesn't tell us this, but I would imagine he probably smelled like a petting zoo. 
Can you imagine taking that in? I mean, when we think of camel fur, sometimes you think of those, those nice camel coats. It's not what John had. Yet John attracted the same crowds as a, as a Francis Chan. Mark will tell us in his gospel that all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were coming to hear John the Baptist speak and to be baptized by him. That's, that's Mark's way. That's, that's hyperbole. Not all people were doing that. Mark's way of saying there were tons of people listening to this man in the wilderness being baptized by him. Now, John's message was a simple one. He said this, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and produce fruit, uh, keeping with forgiveness or repentance. The NLT says it this way. I like this. He says, prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and you have turned to God. This is the same message we preach today. Hopefully, you, when you come, you, you come encouraged that I want to live a different life. God, lead me in a different life. It's the same message. John didn't have any expensive gadgets. He didn't have uh, a nice building that is controlled temperature. He didn't have any expensive gadgets, any, any way to bring people in, yet the crowds kept coming. And by doing so, by bringing in those crowds, he attracted the attention of the Jewish leaders. Now, the Jewish leaders were a lot like we are. When you see someone who is in your field, in your area, and they are very successful, we want to know what's going on, right? Like, I, I, if I want to be a successful person, I, I need to learn from successful people, right? And so the, these Jewish leaders came and... The, like, how are, you bringing, how are you bringing in the crowds? You know, subconsciously we, we say, well, you must be a phony. You must be doing something wrong. You must be doing something a little suspicious to be able to bring in all of these people. Yet John was making an impact. We pick up this morning and uh, the impact that he made led to the Jewish leaders asking some questions. And, and John... Uh, Chapter 1, starting in verse 19, if you can flip over. Thank you, Corbin. He says, now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely. I am not the Messiah. They asked him, well, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. They said, are you the prophet? Now you should hear when they say, are you the prophet? In Deuteronomy, uh, the people of Israel were promised another prophet like Moses. Someone to, to lead them away from being enslaved. Remember, the Romans ruled at this time. And so they asked, are you the prophet? Are you the new Moses? And he said, no. Now, why would you assume such a lofty title for a man that's in the desert wearing camel skin, camel fur, and eating locusts? Are you the Messiah? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. But these men were impacted by what they saw. It wasn't that, that John was preaching that you need to turn back to God. Some of these men were Pharisees. You remember that the Pharisees, 
They were experts in protecting the law, in trying to turn people back to God, in creating laws that protected you enough to where you didn't, you were so far removed from the law, we had created so many laws. They weren't worried about that. What these people, what caught their attention was the way in which John baptized. It wasn't that baptism was new to them. Baptism was, was something that they regularly saw. Some of the Jews, what they would do if, if someone wanted to convert to Judaism, they'd be baptized for that to show that they had converted to Judaism. Another sect over in, in Qumran where, where we find the Dead Sea Scrolls, they felt like, you know what, to be righteous, I need to be baptized daily. I, I, I just have to, you know, it's kind of like the first John, you know, you walk in the light as he is in the light. The blood cleanses you daily, continues to cleanse you. They said, huh, I'm going to go down in the water. The difference in these people, whether you're converting to Judaism or you were a person who said, well, I want to be righteous. And so I'm going to be baptized daily. The difference was, is you baptized yourself. Isn't that an interesting take? So you would simply get in the water and baptize yourself. So John was, was doing something that they weren't used to seeing. They, they looked at John and they said, okay, well, he is a man who at least thinks he has authority. He at least thinks he is somebody. Look at the questions they ask. You know, they ask, are you the Messiah? Are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? You think they really cared how he answered that? You think throughout Scripture, you know, if, if John had right there in that moment said, oh, yes, I'm Elijah, they would have said, oh, okay, great. Let's follow this guy. No, they wouldn't have done that. What did they do to Jesus? But these men didn't care about who he was. They cared about who he thought he was. I believe the true spirit of the conversation comes out in verse 22. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? What do you say about yourself? Another way to say that is, who do you think you are? Now, we use that question to belittle people, don't we? All right, turn to your neighbor. And in the nicest way you can, ask them, who do you think you are? Can, can it be done in a non-condescending way? Did anybody pull it off? I'm not gonna, I, I need to hear from the person who it was said to to know if you pulled it off. Do what? I don't believe you. You didn't hear it. We, we ask that, we use that to belittle someone because we think they're an imposter. They're trying to, maybe they're trying to rise above us, maybe to make us look lower. And so we have to ask them, all right, well, who do you think you are? And in that way, we kind of, we kind of raise, we try to raise ourselves. You can't ask that question and, and not feel that from the other end, except apparently Carol Ann asking someone. But a conversation like that, a conversation that includes a question like that, who do you think you are, 
is less about sincerity of I want to know you. I want to know who you are and what you're about, Andrew. And more about who you think you are and why you think you're better than I am. We continue in verse 23 as John has denied all of these things that they've asked. John replies, he says, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. And now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, not Elijah, and not the prophet? He said, I baptize with water. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. John is the, the preacher with the large congregation. John is the one commanding the crowds, people coming to him. Yet when asked about who do you think you are, his only response is to point to Jesus. John wasn't puffed up by some kind of fame, some kind of localized fame in that area. All the crowds didn't bother him. It didn't get into his, his mental state. He knew he had a task from God and that he needed to follow it. This, this kind of humility is not normal for us. Um, I think today we, we would see John... In our, in our capitalist way, it's kind of as he sidestepped the spotlight, we say, man, you missed an opportunity. Because if I can bring in crowds, I, I bring in power. I bring in people who give me power, and that allows me to make money. Yet John, his humility is summed up when he says about Jesus, he must become greater, I must become Less. He doesn't think more of himself than he should. He is a man on a mission from God. Now, our culture is about keeping stats and comparing the numbers. Anybody know that? Instead of living lives that, that, that point to Jesus, we're, we're constantly trying to, to climb our own ladder. And, and if that means knocking you down off of a rung, I'll do it. You know, we used to, we used to say... I don't know that we say it as much anymore. How many of you grew up saying, you know, keeping up with the Joneses? I think it used to have more of a negative connotation than it does now. Uh, you know, used to, that was, uh, well, you're trying to be someone. You're, you're, you're trying to attain something you probably shouldn't attain. Now it's like, it's a mandate. If I find out that I'm not keeping up with you, I need to keep up. I need to step up my game. Why am I not there? A lot of times in, in, in Christian talk now, bettering ourselves doesn't mean moving closer to Jesus. It means I've moved into a nicer home. And that's how I better myself. We love numbers. We love comparison. We can, we can argue all day about who is the greatest of all time and love doing it. Is it, is it LeBron? Is it Is it Jordan? I mean, sure, surely nobody else would have any opinions other than those two, right? Y'all quit talking. I'm preaching up here. <laughs> but we love to do that. 
We have opinions. We have strong opinions. And if you don't share mine, you're wrong. But stats are so ingrained in us that we, that we use them to determine some kind of worth. I want to compare my house to yours. I want to compare my job to yours. I want to compare my salary to yours. And if I can't get enough worth out of that, I want to, I want to compare your children to mine and what they're doing. I want to compare. I want to see how I stack up. On social media, I want to know how many followers you have. I changed my profile picture this week. How many likes did it get versus yours? I want to know where I fall in this. Ministers aren't immune in, uh, in this, as I mentioned Francis, but all of us are, are kind of in the same way that, that we are encouraged to, to create a platform for ourselves. Grow your church. You'll be given opportunities to speak. You'll be given opportunities to write books or, or you can move to a church that is growing and do the same thing. Little hint, everybody that writes a book has moved to a place just outside a big city and the city expands and the church grows. All of a sudden, they're famous because they wrote a book just because the population increased. But... It's, it's kind of funny that we are encouraged to do that. We are encouraged to look out for ourselves and what we can attain. Larry Osborne, he's, wrote, he's written several books. He's a, he's a pastor out west. His church is now over 12,000 people. He said, it's, it's kind of weird because when my church was 300, nobody came asking these questions. And if they would, I would have given it to them free. But now people pay him to come in and tell him the same thing he's been doing for years. Because publishers care just as much about how big your platform is, how big your congregation is, as they care about what you have to say. How many books can I sell? And so the temptation is focus on yourself, not on others. So, so where is our focus? Are we shining the light inward on, on what I can do, what I can accomplish? Or when people ask us, John, who are you? Am I pointing to Jesus? Francis did something that I think a lot of us would have a problem doing. I think if I got the word that my book was about to take off, I'd be figuring out, all right, well, which plot of land am I going to buy? How am I going to spend that? But, but Francis is good, if you've read any of his stuff, he's, he's really good about, like, self-reflection. Like, how is this going to affect me? And he and his wife just thought, this may ruin us. This kind of money could ruin a person. The same kind of questioning led them to do something uh, drastic with their church. Francis has built this church to over 3,000 people. And he said, as I walked around every Sunday... He said, I heard more about how awesome I was as a speaker than I heard anything about the working of God or the Holy Spirit. He said, that's not what church is about. And so he and his wife decided to leave this church that they had created, I guess. They had started from the ground up in hopes that maybe the church would get back to focusing where it needs to focus. 
I think a lot of times we, we think of power as being, okay, what can I attain? How much money can I build up? How can I build my platform? When the real power is, can you say no? Can I say no to this in order to point to Jesus, in order to lift other people up? In Matthew 11, Jesus says about John the Baptist, he says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus says no one is greater on earth than this camel fur wearing smelly dude that eats bugs. What would you think of a man like that? I think, well, you had that power. You could have gotten out of your situation. You could have raised yourself up. Nobody made John be uh, in his situation. He could have taken advantage of it, yet he decided, God has called me to pave the way for Jesus Christ, and that's what I'm going to do. Greatness isn't attained through power and might, but through humility and self uh, denial. That we would think to put ourselves second and to put others first. We've talked a lot about John the Baptist. Think of, think of, uh, and John, John knew as we go to John chapter one, you know, you, you immediately think of verse one in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And John knew that because he said, you know, he that was before me is coming after me. I have to deny myself and pave the way for him. And Jesus, just in the same way, again, as Rob said during the communion thoughts, left the splendor of heaven to walk on this earth. Not as a king, not as some rich man with, with everything going on, but as a poor man with, with few things. Yeah, he had disciples. And he washed their feet. And he asked them to do the same thing to other people. Yet Jesus was the one who, who, who owned it all, who rules over us all. And he came and he said, this is how you should be. The presence of God was manifest perfectly in Jesus coming in that way. And so as Christians, as the church, we should live our lives pointing to him. When we're caught up in, in our own stuff, others' needs are not met, people don't feel connected or loved because we're so self uh, focused that we don't we don't see you. I'm so inwardly focused that I don't know what you need. When I could be the one to help, but when we point to Jesus, when we actually say my life is going to be about Him, I think you'll find yourself in a different situation. You will find yourself in a situation that as I'm pointing to Jesus, I find that, that I am not able to stay by myself, to stay clean, to stay away from the fray. I find myself down in the dirt, down in the grime, kind of stuck in the weeds of other people's lives because I care. 
because I love. And I want to help and I want to point you to him. Not out of some, some sort of, oh, you're superior or I'm superior. No, it's out of the humility and knowledge that while today you may be the one needing lifted up, tomorrow it's going to be me. And when I'm there in that situation, what I need most from you is to point to Jesus. That's what ministry is. That's caring for the broken. One of the, uh, one of the best things, you know, we, get, we get things levied at our church. I'm, I'm sure some of you know that. One of the best things that I've heard said about our church in a negative way, but I take it as a positive, is that you will take anyone at Mineral Springs. Amen. You will take anyone. And I hope we are the kind of people that do that. That we are there, that we, we come broken just as everybody else. Because we do need to be, we need to take everyone because I'm here. I'm broken. We don't ask the question, okay, what's in it for me? Do you, do you see that in John's ministry or Jesus' ministry? What's in it for me? How do, I, how do I elevate myself out of this? As we often ask very selfishly, what do I get out of this? Because when we do, we, we elevate ourselves to a, point, a place Jesus never called us to. We are called to be among the broken. Jesus kept getting in trouble for that, didn't he? Why are you hanging out with those sinners? Well, because they need Jesus. Luke 3, verse 2, the word, came, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he went into the, all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Scripture tells us in Luke that the word came to John. He said, I got you, Lord. I'm going. And the rest of his life, was because he said yes. He accepted what the Lord said for his life. We have all been given the same word. And so as we sit here this morning, we have to, we have to ask the question, okay, as I look at my life, is it about me? Is it just about me and my family and the way that, in which I can move up in the world? Or is it about pointing to Jesus and helping others. It would be a whole lot easier if Jesus said, you know, love God and love your immediate family. Now, some of you are like, no, my immediate family is a problem. <laughs> we love those who are easy to love. But God has called us the same way he called John. The world needs Jesus and we need to be the ones pointing to him. Not in any way that lifts us up, but in a way that humbles us. That puts us on the ground, who, who, people who wash feet, who hold the hand of the, those who weep. And so we, we point to Christ. And we show the presence of God. That's what church is. So... 
Is that who you are this morning? I think for a lot of us, it's, it's easy to get caught up in the rat race. It just is. But can you take time to look and say, you know what? I got to slow down. I'm doing everything for me, but I'm not doing anything for other people or not near enough. Can you pray a prayer? It says, God, use me. Just as you use John the Baptist, just to, John just seems to say, you know what? I was, yeah, I have authority because God called me to, but it's not about me. It's about him. Somebody's coming greater than me. Can you be a tool in God's hand for him? I'm going to end in prayer and then we'll, we'll have a time of invitation if you, if you need to uh, respond and, and us pray for you. I'd love to do that or be baptized this morning. Would you pray with me? Father God, we, Lord, we thank you for just being our God. Lord, for just everything you are. For the blessings that we, we are given, Lord, but just for knowing that you're there for us. Lord, we pray this morning as we read from your word, Lord, we, we pray that we will be we will take from the examples of John and Jesus to live a life of, of self-sacrifice, Lord, that we will quit comparing. Lord, that we will quit deriving worth from worthless things. Lord, that we will look to you. We will look to uh, the thing most valuable, our salvation, our relationship with you. God, be with us as we, as we ask those, those hard questions of ourselves. Uh, Lord, be with us and, and strengthen us and, uh, and guide us in the way we should go. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.